0: Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan, from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, today it is my great pleasure to welcome AJ Umandop to the show. Welcome, AJ.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: Doing great, AJ is the vice president for go-to-market strategy operations and planning at Forder. And if you have not heard of Forder, they are an e-commerce fraud prevention platform. We're going to talk today about go-to-market strategy and specifically things like account and territory planning and TAM estimation, total available market estimation. We'll also talk about AJ's windy road into the role that she's in. And maybe we'll even talk about MBAs because AJ has an MBA from my alma mater, and my at least my undergrad alma mater. So we, we can talk about that because I get a lot of questions from people about whether or not MBAs are worth it. So we'll, we'll cover a lot of ground today. Before we do that, AJ, I love to get to know our guests a little better. I'll throw one out to you. That is actually my favorite question, which is, do you have any interesting or unusual hobbies?
1: You know, I box. Um, I did it quite a bit. Prior to the pandemic happening, uh, I was a member of a gym. Obviously, when pandemic hit, I was no longer able to box in the gym for quite a bit of time. So I ended up purchasing the mirror because they have some boxing classes on there. And while I don't get to punch a bag, I get to punch the air.
0: I haven't picked up The Boxing Habit, although um, one of my favorite books of all time, a fiction book, is called The Power of One. They made a movie about that, too. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's a—it's like a coming-of-age story with a kid, I think, from South Africa, who gains his footing partly by boxing. So maybe thats that might be a good book recommendation for you.
1: Absolutely. Send me the book, and I'll have to pick it up and read it.
0: I'll I'll just send you the book so that you don't have to purchase it. It's one of my favorites. So happy to do that. Well, yeah, let's let's transition into uh, the theme of the day around go to market. You mentioned when we were prepping for this that you had a bit of a windy road into into this role that you and and I think I can see that reflected when I look at your LinkedIn bio. So can you talk a little bit about how you ended up in in uh, go to market strategy and operations?
1: Yeah, um, so I did a lot of process consulting. I also uh, had a windy road into tech, worked in pharma for a number of years, did some process consulting within the company, and then transitioned into a product strategy role where I was responsible for the generics business of the organization. In my time there, realized, living in the Bay Area, that the tech bug had bit me and obviously wanted to make the transition into tech. Thankfully, I had a really supportive boss at the time who said, you know what, I want to support your aspirations, even if they're outside of the company. And he and I put a plan together for how I could get more exposure into tech. So what I ended up actually doing was hiring a software development consulting company called Pivotal Labs to build a software application for me to manage my book of business. As part of that, they ended up deciding that I needed to work for them, and they heavily recruited me for about 18 months, at which, at some point in time, I decided to go ahead and make the leap and ended up working for them. So got back into, in the very early stages of my career, I did have a customer-facing role when I was working in banking and in the auto industry, got back into a customer-facing role as a customer success director. For Pivotal, um, the company had decided to build its own software, a cloud abstraction layer, and they put me in charge of their largest customer, big financial services customer. So I got back into a customer-facing role managing that large account. was also really fortunate enough to participate in a combined software development slash software sale that involved yet another uh, large financial services customer. Let's just say there are a lot of transactions that people make on their Apple wallet that flow through uh, the software that, b- that we built and the software layer that we installed. So:
0: Yeah, well, I'll, actually I'll, I'll pause there because so you know, you went into, you know, from a process consulting world and rel- you know, relatively powerful job inside the pharma industry, into a customer success role inside of tech. Did you view that as a tax you had to pay in order to get into the tech world?
1: You know, it was interesting to me because thankfully enough, I didn't have to, it it was sort of like a lateral shift for me. I was managing clients as well. When I was managing product strategy, the company that I was working for had done a bunch of joint sourcing deals with a lot of um, large companies. And so I was managing those relationships. I would say I didn't necessarily view it as a step down, but you know, a change probably in responsibility and a change in activities. Uh, I was still managing large customers just in a different industry. And I would say, obviously, the talk track changed.
0: Right. The traditional model for CS, right, is, uh, I guess, breaking it down as a consultant in the high level, there are proactive and reactive things that you do. What was different about the model that, that you developed while you were at Pivotal?
1: Yeah, I would say just taking a look at the different lines of business and from a land and expand perspective, really understanding where the areas were where we could land and expand, where the areas were that we could really help the customer, helping all of the participants in the process, especially internally, the account executives, the customer success managers, the software development consultants, um, our services team to understand really where the pockets of opportunity were and how we needed to take advantage of them and how we needed to approach the customer to ensure that we were able to land and expand as far and as wide as we could possibly go.
0: So it sounds like different companies have different approaches to whether or not their CSMs should be commercially minded or not, whether they should generate CSQLs, Customer Success Qualified Leads. It sounds like at, at Pivotal, that was part of your responsibility is that you did have that commercial grow the account responsibility.
1: Yeah, I think that that should always be the mindset, right? At the end of the day, we are all here to ensure that you know the companies that we work for achieve our revenue goals. And so what that meant to me was not just taking a very siloed or myopic view of what I was doing, but you know removing the blinders and really understanding what would make the company as a whole successful versus myself successful in the role that I've been placed in.
0: Got it. There are some places that I've seen. In fact, I was talking to another uh, person with the s- same title, actually, Vice President Go-To-Market Strategy and Operations, and he's also involved in planning. And he was mentioning that his company was separating actually the CSMs from the the, the commercial responsibility so that they would exclusively be responsible for engagement. The account executives, they sell to the enterprise, I think, like you guys do. The account executives who continue to own the accounts afterwards would you know, bear the full commercial responsibility. But I guess it's just different, different philosophies inside of different companies.
1: Yeah, I think the most important thing there, and I would say Pivotal had a really good model of this, was to create what is called a balanced account team. They sort of tried to eliminate the notion of pre-sales versus post-sales and essentially create a balanced account team that included the account executive, the assigned customer success manager, the solutions engineer that was also assigned to the account and the services person who was responsible for selling services and to say, you have to move through this account in tandem where you do everything jointly and you're informed of the activities of each other. And I would say that's probably the best model that I've seen work where One person doesn't end up feeling left out or somebody feels like someone else overstepped their bounds. It requires a lot of collaboration and planning. And it's uh, an idea that I have started to promote in my current company, what we want to do and where we see the best results is where the entire team is working together and is aware of each other's activities.
0: Is there a qu- requirement for one of those individuals to be anointed as the, the lead on that team? Or are there governance and other systems and incentives that mean that you don't have to do that?
1: I would say it requires someone to take the lead from an administrative perspective. And I don't want to generalize here, but I have seen it happen plenty of times where naturally the customer success manager is most suited to ensure that the team is working in one accord. So it does require for someone on the team to take not necessarily a leadership role in all senses in, in all perspectives, but a leadership role in ensuring that the team stays aligned. And nowadays there are a lot of useful tools that people can use to ensure that, you know, from a collaboration perspective and from a staying informed perspective, that happens systematically right? And it's not through a series of conversations
0: and emails. Just to want to stay on this balanced account team idea, since it it's, uh, feels like a, a golden idea, and I don't want to get away from the gold vein here. What are some some like key do's and don'ts for people who want to set up that type of structure?
1: I would say do. Make sure that you have regular check-ins as one, a core balanced account team, and then an extended balanced account team. So for any tech companies that have a services component, obviously, service engagements have a start and stop date. Uh, so, making sure that folks who are participating in the service engagement are included in a more extended call to ensure that they are also aware of what the balanced account team is doing, and that the balanced account team is aware of what of how the services engagement is going. So. I would say making sure that you have regular check-ins is really important. Do also make sure that you have a solidified account plan. I am a big believer that internal account plans should contain the external components that you are going to share with a customer so that you don't have to do rework. I would say make sure that there's a racy. People have to know what they are responsible for and accountable for and what they need to communicate and inform people of. And so having clear cut roles and responsibilities is really important. And then I mentioned this already previously, having a healthy Slack channel, if you are a Slack user is really important. Not everyone can get on a call at all times. And so making sure that you are regularly posting updates into the Slack channel is really, really important as well. I would say for the don'ts, don't have an ego about it. Set your ego aside. At certain points in time, you may realize that you will need to take on tasks that are not traditionally yours, or you may need to hand over the reins of a task that is traditionally yours. What's important is to understand who is best fit to complete the task and make sure that that person is who is assigned to do it.
0: On the account plan, I, I've been involved with different attempts at account planning in, in different places and. You know, a few conclusions I've drawn over that is, is you can't do account plans for every account, but you do them for the high level strategic accounts, which is what it sounds like the types of accounts, you know, you, you had been working with drilling just one step into the account plans. Are there, are there, is there also advice for making sure that an account planning initiative, you know, gets off the ground and stays off the ground without, without collapsing under its own weight?
1: Yeah, I would say having a template and understanding the different components that are going to be part of that template is important. And it depends on the business on the type of business that you're in. So for tech companies, for example, understanding how the firm is or the company is that you're working with is structured. I call them firmographics, for example, you know, what does the company look like? What is important to the cus- to that particular company? Having an OGSM is an important component, I would say. So understanding what the customer's objectives, strategies, goals, and metrics are to ensure that you're aligned to how the customer is measuring success. So for me, to your point, we build account plans for the most strategic accounts. And in order to have a good template, you would need to understand the components that are important to cover in the template. And then you have to reinforce the fact that all components need to be completed in order for the account plan to be successful.
0: I, I also wanted to take us in another direction here, which is as we were talking beforehand. One of the things that you're focused heavily on, which is pretty common in in this role, is thinking about ter- territory planning and territory strategy. You know, what are what are some of the things that you're you're learning along the way on that side?
1: yeah, and you know perhaps it might make sense for me to finish my journey for how I even got into this situation and how I got into my current role. You know, I had transitioned from managing a book of accounts at my previous company. They ended up giving me a global territory to lead. Um, I became the customer success leader for the global or strategic account segment once pivotal had gone through an acquisition. And in that role, I met the person that I report to now our current chief revenue officer. He ran global success sales. I ran global success. We had a great working relationship and we were able to establish a lot of good operating rhythms and cadences for the sales organization to make the sales team more efficient. So when he decided to leave the company and take on the CRO role, he called me immediately before he even accepted the offer. And he, he said, you know, we need to continue this working relationship. I think that you'd really be successful in this go-to-market strategy, ops, and planning role. And what I said to him was, it's not really a role that I've had before. And he said, yes, but you understand operations so well. And so I believe that you'd be successful in this role. So I took a leap of faith. Left uh, an established tech company, ended up coming to Forter um, and taking on a role that I've never had before. Obviously, tackling things that I had never tackled before. Obviously, I'd gone through territory planning of my own for the patch that I was working, but having to do it at a large scale was a new exercise for me. And so, as I start to look and went through my first exercise in all of it, you start, I think, with a basis of understanding what the account list is that you have, figuring out geographically where those accounts sit, figuring out then what your segmentation strategy is going to be. And then as part of the segmentation strategy, then understanding how you can carve out the different territories to ensure that the sales team and the account list is evenly divided to ensure that every seller has the opportunity to be successful. Then taking a look at each of the segments, making sure that each of the territories have the right account list within them and prioritizing that account list is actually a really big exercise. It involves you understanding the likelihood and the efficiencies within the organization and setting the priorities for the sellers to understand which accounts they should pursue first based on the overarching go to market strategy of the company. So I would say it wasn't an exercise that I had done specifically for this particular role, but had done a very similar strategic exercise actually in pharma of understanding where we wanted to grow the business, how we wanted to grow the business. So, in that sense, my corporate strategy skill set largely played into my success in being able to develop the plans that we did.
0: I guess that, that brings me to one of the questions I wanted to ask you, which is, you have a background in finance. You ultimately got an MBA. A lot of folks ask me, because I, I picked up an MBA along the way as well, was it worth it? Like, If you had to do it again, do you need an MBA to be successful in revenue operations and strategy? What's, what's your take on that?
1: I mean, I got my MBA after I had led a strategic function in pharma. And so I would say in my current role, it really was the relevant experience that has come into play more so than my MBA. I would say where the MBA has come in handy is having very clear frameworks by which to operate. I think that's what business school really teaches you. I think intuitively If you've led a strategic function or you've participated and been part of a strategic function, you naturally end up picking up techniques and frameworks that are not named in your mind. I think what business school does is it gives you labels for what the frameworks are and when they are most applicable. For me, getting an MBA was more of a personal achievement more so than a business requirement. You know, anyone who's listening, if you have a desire to learn and network, it's probably a good idea to get one. Is it required for my current role? I would say not necessarily.
0: Yeah. I I have the same, same sentiment as it was a personal goal for me. One thing I didn't take advantage of that you, that you noted that I, uh, Uh, was the networking component, which I think is so important. And then obviously for people who want to switch careers, the the career switching and recruiting component can be very, very time consuming if if you choose to go that route. One other topic, just also transitioning for a second that we'd promised to talk about is market sizing, how to come up with the TAM, because a lot of go-to-market strategy professionals are responsible for figuring out what the market size is in order to get deeper into the planning side. How many how many AEs, how many CSMs, how many support professionals do you need to hire? So how are you approaching the the market sizing and TAM planning aspect of your job?
1: Yeah. So in a previous life, what I would have done is hire a consultant. That's the easiest thing to do is to hire a consultant and say, tell us what the addressable market is. For a startup, it's not as easy. And I think you, know, you and I had talked about prior to this particular recording about how COVID had an impact on our business. A lot of folks were impacted negatively by COVID. Forder was fortunate enough to have seen the shift from brick and mortar to e-commerce as a tailwind for the company. Any company who prior to COVID did not have a digital presence is guaranteed to have a digital presence now. And it's a situation that we continue to monitor since we are an e-commerce fraud solution platform what the impact of this unfortunate virus is going to have on us. So I would say the the TAM before COVID was probably different than the TAM is now. And making sure that we understand what the growth is that we've seen from an e-commerce perspective is going to be the basis for what our total addressable market is. I would say what's also been really interesting is watching the trends of what kinds of new e-commerce companies are springing up. Who knew that NFTs were going to be a thing 2 years ago? The fact that we have NFTs now and we have folks who are capitalizing on blockchain in order to sell artwork for example is a thing now that we we hadn't seen in the past and so I would say probably even your traditional consulting or consultant route of figuring out what this is is Going to be a bit murky, so I've not figured out what the exact solution is yet. To figure out what our total addressable market is, other than to pay attention one to what our competitors are considering, what industry experts have stated. Gartner, who is your former employer, is a, you know a good resource for us to use, and then figuring out what the mix is between what we're hearing in the in the industry, and probably at some point in time, definitely. Hiring a consultant to figure out what the TAM is is going to be important for us. The biggest factor here is really the pest aspect, right? Which is a business framework, by the way, for the folks who have not gone and gotten an MBA. It's understanding what the political, economic, social, and technology landscape is going to be, which is really the conundrum that my company is faced with today. How are we figuring out what the TAM is? I think it's through research. And I think at some point in time we will have to hire a consultant to help guide us better is going to be the answer.
0: Yeah, well, I'm, I'm with you on it being and uh, being very murky right now. well AJ, I, I feel very lucky to have learned from you and spoken with you today. I think the the CRO who saw your talent uh, definitely was is on the right track because you you definitely know your stuff on on go to market and, and revOps strategy and planning. so thanks so much for being a guest on the show today.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And one plug for a book, there is a book called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. I would highly recommend it to anyone who um, is in this role or wants to get into
0: this role. I second that motion as well. So thanks for sharing that recommendation. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.